All right. Welcome to Behind the Movement. I'm Kyle Fincham. I appreciate you listening. I am really excited to share the conversation that I had recently with Jeremy Fine. Um, Before I get to it, I'm just going to make my couple of announcements. Um, I'm going to be doing some Infinite Play events this summer. There are uh, a few on the docket, um, but I'm going to share the the couple that were are definitely set in stone and are happening. Um, the first is uh, going to be in Miami, Florida, on June 19th. That's a Saturday at 9 a.m. Everybody's invited. So if you're in the Florida area, I'd love to see you there. Um, you can sign up by going to movementbrooklyn.com. And then a month later, I'll be uh, doing Infinite Play in San Diego, California at 10 a.m. Um, yeah, again, everyone's invited. Would love to see you there if you're in the Southern California area. Uh, you can also go to movementbrooklyn.com to sign up for that. We have the uh, the events page there. There are a few other events that were uh, that are coming together. So in the uh, upcoming podcasts, I'll be uh, putting those details out. So stay tuned. But yeah, that's all I've got for right now. Let's uh, let's not waste time. Let's get to the podcast. Um, I got to speak with Jeremy Fine recently. Um, as we kind of agreed when we first got on our call, it's been a long time coming. We've kind of danced around each other a little bit, um, known of each other, but this was the first time we actually got to speak, and uh, it was really wonderful. I feel like I've made a new friend. If you're not familiar with Jeremy Fine's work, um, he studied economics in university and then headed off to the New England Center for Circus Arts. And what started as an obsession with juggling turned into a broad love for skill acquisition and working with people. Um, he has had quite a journey that spanned CrossFit gymnastics, studying Ido Portal method, functional range conditioning, and now um, the Movement Guild. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, another trip to the East Coast here at some point, and hopefully we can uh, we can connect in person. So let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. Please enjoy my conversation with Jeremy Fine. Full disclosure, I grew up in the suburbs of Boston, so a pretty quiet pace. Um, and to me, New York City, Brooklyn, Manhattan, like the whole area is just madness. <laughs> like I can spend like 12 to 36 hours there and then my brain is just fried. <laughs> That's fair. I feel like if I hadn't moved there when I was 20, if I just like showed up like in my 30s, I'd be like, I need to like get back to my hammock wherever that's at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, did you ever live outside of Boston or have you like, you were born there, raised there and like that's where you've been? Um, yeah, I, I left and came back. So I went to school in St. Louis 
and then I went to circus school in Vermont and then back to the Boston area. Where where in Vermont was the circus school? Uh, Brattleboro. Okay. It's like right near the borders of Massachusetts, Vermont, and New Hampshire. Okay, cool. My my, I've never been to Vermont, but my wife went to UVM. Nice. And I know like people who have lived in Vermont and people who went to UVM, there's like a real fondness for that area. Yeah, definitely. I like, I don't even know if I would enjoy really living there as an adult, but I still like fantasize about it. Really? Yeah. I, I just romanticize it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Be, be closer to Ben and Jerry. <laughs> definitely. I mean, I eat with them almost every day, but it's not quite the same uh, remotely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you need to like be in their backyard. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so what, what, so what were you studying in, in St. Louis that made you decide you wanted to go to circus school? Uh, officially I was studying economics and psychology, Nice, but I was spending most of my time training at and running the juggling club. That was okay. my real coursework, I'd say. Uh-huh. Um, so so yeah. then from there you were like, oh, I want to, I want to be in the circus or I want to be a clown. Like what, what was kind of like the, the aspirations when you're like, well, then I'm, this is the direction I'm going to go. Yeah. It was really to be like a juggler. Um, and looking back, it sounds naive. And I think to people all around me at the time, it sounded naive, but I was like, I love juggling. So I want to do juggling all the time. And this is a way to do it. And, you know, I really looked up to a lot of jugglers in the circus and, um, there was, there was like a path. Um, and as it turns out, like nothing else about that entire potential path was appealing except for practicing juggling like I don't like performing I don't like traveling (laughs) I don't like any of it um so that was a really I'd say important uh experience for me but it was pretty clear coming out of circus school that it wasn't uh the path I had imagined Mm. how long how long was the program So I was part of a two-year program, but I kind of started in the second year. So for me, it was a one-year program. Um, And now it has grown a lot and it's now like a full-on three-year program. But for me, it was a year in Vermont to uh, struggle and find out what I loved and didn't love about all of it. And was it like a was it just juggling centric when you were there? Like, did you, were you just focusing on that or were you being exposed to a lot of other, like, you know, parts of the circus? I was definitely being exposed to other areas. We all had um, a major and a minor. And so I uh, studied, I guess, juggling and German wheel, um, which is like the giant metal wheel that you roll around in, Uh um, which is so fun. If you ever have a chance to try German wheel, I highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, we all had like, it's like a core curriculum, like you would in any other, uh, school. So I was doing like aerials and acrobatics and flexibility, handstands, all kinds of things. Wow. And you never, and so after that though, you didn't go into any like professional performing. It was like, you just knew that that wasn't for you. Yeah. So most of the performing I actually did was before that, like in high school and college with friends, um, kind of low key performances, but I, I knew honestly, before I even finished the year there, I knew kind of, uh, maybe 60% of the way through, like, this is not, uh, my career aspiration. 
No. There was a time when I was living in New York where I was like seriously considering clown school. Mm, interesting. Um, I don't know. I was like, I've said it on here before. I was like, a, you know, as a kid, like a huge Jim Carrey fan. And when I was in college, I was in school for theater and I was like really into vaudeville and I was exposed to, I think his name is Bill Irwin. He's a, he's a, like, like one of the last famous clowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and just remember thinking like, oh, like this, this could be like the piece of like my puzzle that like is, is missing. Um, but I, it was also at a time where like, I don't, I don't want to say the internet wasn't a thing, but it wasn't the way it is now. You know, like, I think it was like not long after YouTube had just like started. And like, (laughs) so the idea of just being like, oh, I'm going to like simply search for like where these schools and things are at, uh, it wasn't doable. So it was like, all I knew was like, I don't know, Ringling Brothers, I have no idea. And like, when it didn't kind of connect, I was like, all right, well, that's like the route didn't appear quick enough for me. (laughs) That's so interesting. So is anything that you do now, like, is there a thread that goes all the way from wondering about going to clown school or circus school and ending up here? Totally. Yeah. I feel like in some ways it's almost come full circle. Like when I was in theater school, I didn't really dig like the theater theater classes. I would always like go to these vaudeville classes that were taught by the same guy and I was sneaking in and going like before I was allowed to go like it was for like third and fourth year students and I was going as like a first and a second year I wouldn't even go to like my general ed classes I would just go take his like movement classes and and what I do now like at the time I didn't know what he was doing I just knew that I enjoyed it you know mm-hmm. what I mean? In some ways, I I, it. we were doing it, and I'm like, "What is everybody paying forty thousand dollars a year to do this for?" <laughs> you know, we're like dancing while he bangs on a drum, and <laughs> and now I look at it and I'm like, "Oh, that was that was the magic. Like that was the genius. That is the like let's let's learn how to get out of our own way." Mm-hmm. And in some ways, like through like this twisty, turny way, that whatever the thing is that I do now is most similar to that thing in some ways. You know, I don't know if you can relate that to relate to that where it's like, there's that thing that you kind of started with that was like the the little seed and it led like somewhere. And then now maybe like almost returning back to it. Definitely. I mean, I was just thinking about that earlier today. Like I learned to juggle in middle school and I'm 32 now and I'm teaching people to juggle on the internet. And it's like, if you had told me then <laughs> that this would be life, I don't know. I don't think I could have imagined it at all, um, which I don't I don't think is like good or bad. It's just hard to, to wrap my mind around. Um, yeah. And yeah, I love what you said about, um, I'd call that like a spark where like maybe you've gone past the actual curriculum or like, you're exhausted after a long day of studying or moving or whatever. And then something magical happens. Like my best memories of circus school are, you know, we'd been training for eight hours and we're ready to go home. And it's like, where should we go to eat? But wait, first let's like try this three person jump rope trick and like fall on our asses and see what happens. Yeah. 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 Those are, I mean, it's it's like I was thinking about it. It's like the things that are like the unscripted, the unplanned, like the the random 
accidents are the things that I always like look back on the most fondly, yeah. you know, whatever was like, Oh, this is in the script. It's like totally forgotten. Totally. Yeah. I love that. I think so, that's, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, that's like, uh, a big area where I think I've improved as a coach over the years where I think, uh, a younger me had the tendency to like steal the the mistakes from people a little bit so like I would see someone training something in a way where I might perceive like oh if you do it if you make this change you won't make that mistake anymore and then if they don't get to make any mistakes then they don't get to you know play fall <laughs> have fun um, any of that and so now I so appreciate, like I cling to those early moments when it's like, I'm gonna try to juggle for the first time and the balls are gonna end up in another room or right. like, I am literally gonna land on my butt and as long as I'm okay, that's gonna be a good outcome. Yeah, so the, the is, is teaching, facilitating, juggling, is that kind of like the center of what you're doing now? So, what I obsess over, I would say, is learning skills of any kind. Um, and juggling happens to be the one where I have the most experience. I've been training it and teaching it for the longest. Um, but yeah, to me, it's the taking something that I can't do or that someone else can't do and approaching it and and grappling with it. That's um, super exciting. And it doesn't matter as much what the actual skill is um, as like that process of going up to the impossible thing and, and not stopping there. Mm -hmm. So is it like um, when people are approaching you online then, so is it like a, juggling is like one of the many skills that you kind of like place in front of people? Yeah. So like, what do I do for work? I guess is kind of, kind of. Yeah. 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 Because you were saying that you teach people how to juggle online. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious if that's kind of like the centerpiece or is it like among other things? Yeah. So um, I, I run, I help run the movement guild with John who kind of uh, got us here today. And my main coaching role there is um, skill acquisition. So we, we try to focus on the basics, that is things that apply to any area and across populations and, and uh, interests. And so from our perspective, skill acquisition is one of those things. Like it doesn't matter if you want to, um, you know, be able to walk further to go visit a loved one or learn a one-arm handstand to perform it in a circus or play football. Like, you're going to need to be able to learn things that you didn't know before. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's my, uh, my like phase that I take ownership over. And we use juggling as an example of that. So it's just kind of a useful like laboratory where you can mess up safely. Um, it's accessible to try for, um, for pretty much anyone. And so I, I'm teaching juggling, but hopefully as a way to uh, approach this broader concept of skill acquisition. Right, right. It's like about like the meta skills. Exactly. Interesting. So what are, cause I'm fascinated by like learning and skill acquisition because I realize at least from where 
from my perspective, a lot of like education doesn't actually play to like the real gift of learning that we have. Right. It's like, we mm-hmm. have like our like logic based, like delivery of like education and knowledge, but like we have like innate skills. So what are like some of your approaches or philosophies are, are around like skill acquisition? So it's interesting you frame it that way, because at least from my perspective, I think that I come at it from a pretty logical uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I always welcome the, the surprising things that like don't fit into a box. But in general, I think one of the things that I'm um, able to help people with is like make pretty clear boxes <laughs> and put them in front of them. So for instance, one thing is just making a progression with minimal gaps, like how small of a step can you take from one thing to the next? And that can apply to most areas. I'm not going to say like every single skill you'd ever want to learn, but for the most part where we tend to run into frustration, we're just trying to take a step that's a little bit bigger than (laughs) some other step. And like when I look at other people coaching, often what I see them doing that leads to success is giving someone a smaller step to take. Whether it's like, instead of kicking up to a freestanding handstand, maybe use this spotter. Or um, instead of trying to go on some crazy diet, maybe make a smaller change than that at first. And it's these like simple things. Like when I say that to someone, no one's gonna be like, oh my God, that's a brilliant idea. I should try smaller steps. But when you actually like obsess over implementing it, um, it can be really, really helpful. So do you like um, give the the progressions or is it a thing where where you ask them to figure it out on their own or or contemplate it a little bit on their own? Yeah, so I think what's cool is with a new activity or a relatively new activity to someone, no matter how much you try to give them, they're still gonna have to figure it out on their own to some extent, Mm -hmm. um, which is again, like where the magic is. So with juggling specifically in the guild, I kind of present the difference between uh, technique and progression. And I focus way more on progression because there are a lot of different techniques that will lead to success. If your goal is let's say to juggle three balls. Um, But if you have a clear progression, then anyone can take any of their techniques and approach it. So I do lay out a progression. And what I find over and over again is, you know, I could describe it for days and days, but still someone's gonna run into some obstacle uh, that I couldn't quite cover and they're gonna have to problem solve on their own. And to me, that's just a a great part of the puzzle. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. It's kind of like this like collaboration of like, as I was kind of saying, like the, the innate thing. And then like the, as you were talking about, like the logic piece, it's like kind of letting them like dance with each other a little bit. Totally. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what kind of happens after this? Like if, as people start to tackle juggling, because now I'm realized like, Oh, like it's not about the juggling. It's like about what we're getting from like learning juggling. Mm-hmm. What are, what are some of the other, tasks or skills you start to like present and, and, and how do you offer those? So within the context of the movement guild, um, 
we we present skill acquisition in phase three out of four, and then we move into a focus on uh, creativity. And what's really cool is John will present these tasks and like challenges and invitations that so many people, I think at least, would be so uncomfortable trying. Um, and I, like, I can't even describe it in words because he just has a way of like calmly inviting you to, <laughs> to like create magic in your living room. <laughs> um, but what I hope is that coming out of uh, approaching something that can be kind of intimidating, like learning to juggle, which seems impossible to a lot of people, um, there, there's more of an openness to be like, okay, I was able to make some progress in something that seemed impossible. So maybe when, when John asks me to do this thing, like I can approach that. Mm. Um, and so that's within this project where we kind of take it into um, like an opening, right? We, we get even further from like, here are the rules, right? We just kind of invite people to, um, to be creative in certain ways. And then more broadly speaking, I follow more what people want to learn. So I think I am probably most uh, experienced and skilled in teaching juggling and handstand related things. But in general, like my favorite moments aren't even necessarily with clients, but maybe it's like helping a friend approach some work task where they're in a field that like, I don't actually know anything about, but some idea from an outsider can be helpful about how they might learn how to do something. Oh, this is so cool. I'm very like fascinated by this whole thing. It makes me want to get back into juggling now. Yeah, I, ta I taught myself to juggle. When, I taught myself to juggle when I was in middle school, and I'm also, I'm not going to brag, but I'm going to brag. I'm pretty <laughs> unbelievable with like juggling sticks, like the people used to call them like fire sticks or whatever they call uh -huh. them. But I got them like years before they became like a thing, like at some like Ren Fair or something that my aunt bought them for me. And I taught them, I taught myself to do it when I was like eight years old. Amazing. And I still travel with them everywhere I go. Like I never like leave them, but now they, they just come out less and less. Um, but I can like really rock and roll. That's super cool. I am shocked that I haven't seen this on the internet and I look forward to seeing it like as soon as we're off. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is one, there's one video on Instagram because when the whole COVID thing unfolded, we had to quickly throw a bunch of stuff into storage. And we went to our storage unit before we came to Boulder and I pulled them out of the storage unit and I went outside and I was like, just, you know, you know, as you do, like when you haven't yeah. touched something for a while and you just like, you know, just like dust off the cobwebs. And like my wife filmed it and she's like, I've known you for like eight years and had no idea this was a thing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I love them. Maybe we should put together like a duo act or something. Definitely. Yes. But like a cyber duo act where like people log on and we're like performing, but like virtually from afar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in-person performance is obviously dead. Yeah. So I, remote duos is, is the way of the future. Yeah. So then when I remember when I became familiar of you, like, or w with you, uh, you, you were like working for CrossFit. Am mm -hmm. I right? Like, and you were doing like CrossFit gymnastics. That's right. Yeah. So how did, so how did you get from circus school to CrossFit? 
Good question. So I, I guess it kind of goes backwards. I went from uh, CrossFit to circus school in a certain sense. Um, so when I decided that I wanted to go to circus school, you can't just go to circus school, you have to audition. And I, <laughs> I couldn't touch my toes. I had never like done any strength training. I was just good at juggling. Uh-huh. Um, and that doesn't really fly when you're going up against like aerialists and contortionists. Um, so I needed like some basic layer of anything other than juggling. And uh, my dad actually introduced me to his trainer at the time. And, you know, fast forward a decade and here we are now, but he, um, while I was in circus school, he opened his own CrossFit gym. So he had been training me. I went away to circus school and then I came back and uh, started as an intern for him. Gotcha. And did you, did you coach CrossFit as well? Like at some point? Yeah. So I coached uh, CrossFit, some combination of CrossFit and CrossFit gymnastics for about four years. Wow. And and with the CrossFit gymnastics, I mean, that, that was like a full-time job, right? Because I know people who have been on like the different staffs and it's like a lot of traveling and everything. There was some travel, but for me, I was like an assistant on the staff. So um, it was, you know, every few weekends for a little while, I would, I would go to a seminar. Um, and that was, it was later in my time at CrossFit. So, you know, the four years at that local gym, um, most of that was not on the gymnastics staff. And then I started uh, migrating <laughs> in my, my practice and, and thinking around all this stuff. So I uh, moved away from the CrossFit world. Yeah, I feel like it's a, a similar story for me. I was like CrossFit was like kind of this way to like bridge some gaps. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and especially like, and maybe you felt this too. It was like in those like earlier days of like playing with movement related things, the distance between CrossFit and where movement was, at least in the way that I was doing it, maybe the way you were doing it, um, wasn't that far. There was a lot of like similar things going on. There was like mm-hmm. a lot of use of like gymnastics rings and handstands. So like it was like this fitting, this fitting place. Yeah, I think a simple way of putting that is like if you go into gyms around the world and just look around and don't do anything, you know, you'll see similar like equipment and shapes and sizes mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in a CrossFit gym and you know in some more like uh, capital M movement <laughs> space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll, you'll probably find a lot of overlap there, which is probably where all the lessons are, right? Like mm-hmm. they're not actually unique in any way. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, it, it, oftentimes like at the end of the day, like a lot of the, a lot of the messages are the same in a lot of these places. Right. Yeah. Um, I think what I got out of uh, my time training CrossFit and my time training with Edo uh, ended up being pretty similar. And a lot of people would probably say they get similar things out of um, swimming or yoga or all kinds of other things. Mm-hmm. How, how long did you do online coaching with Edo? 
Um, it was on and off a little bit, so I'd have to look back to actually answer that, but I think around two years, um, I'll say <laughs> close enough to two years that I don't feel like a liar on here. <laughs> <laughs> two years spread out over eight years. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like, it was two to three years. Okay. So at some point that you decided you were like, Oh, I'm, I want to like take a lot of these things like the juggling and the time and CrossFit and, and, you know, two years of like movement under a certain kind of methodology and like kind of, turn it into something that kind of captures a lot of different things? Um, I wish I could look back and say I was very like strategic or uh, wise in some way. Um, but really, I think what the transitions were, I guess I, I was working at a CrossFit gym and moving away from CrossFit type of thinking. I was tr doing online uh, coaching with Ido. And then I found another local gym that was more kind of aligned with what I valued. And so I started working there and the maybe like that ultimate shift that it would be nice to sound really uh, smart about was just like when I eventually left there and started working for myself. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it would be overstating a little bit to make it sound like I had grand plans during any of those time periods. It's, it's fine. Lie. Just say it was totally calculated. <laughs> like when you were I... teaching yourself to juggle as a kid, you already knew like that was going to be the, the layout and the plan. That's right. I, when I was six, I knew I would start finemovement.com <laughs> 25 years later. So what was it that, you know, only because I've had these experiences where it's like you, you know, working for people with people, for myself, what, what was it, you know, that was like, oh, you know, I, I think it's time for me to just like do like a solo act. Like, you know, what, what, what was it about? Like at least being in a gym setting as like a group that made you like, oh, I'm, I'm ready for another step. Yeah. So the first thing that popped into my mind when you said that is actually my dad works, works from home and has always described himself as like, doesn't work well with others or something to that effect. Um, like he prides himself on his work a lot, but acknowledges that he, uh, maybe other people don't always work well with him. Um, I think he takes some ownership over that, but it's interesting looking back and seeing myself go from working in gyms to then being like, I'm gonna work from home on my own. Um, but, uh, the the main motivator, I wasn't uh, trying to be my dad, certainly. <laughs> Still not. It's like you, you, work, you worked really well with others, but then you decide you're like, you know what? Now I'm not going to work well with others. <laughs> I'm going to try something else. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think the main motivator to me was looking at kind of the similarities in the two gyms where I spent those like seven or so years. Um, I was working locally with a, a group of like one to two or 300 people um, who like lived in a similar area, had similar like incomes and interests and uh, were just uh, similar to each other in a lot of ways. And I wanted to um, 
expand like my own experiences and and work with people who um, who were different from me and who had experience that I didn't have and interests and and goals and obstacles that I didn't have. Oh, I lost you there for a second. Back, to, I don't know where you lost me or when. I just heard you. You were, you were saying um, people who are different from me. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, different from me with different uh, like life experiences, challenges, goals, um, and yeah. I, I guess I wanted to branch out in short. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right? Like uh, when you're kind of like working within like one community, it's almost like. For me, sorry. I lost you. I don't know. We had a. We're having a little inter, a little internet faux pas. Uh oh. The podcast right. overlords. Yeah, this is it. The first time ever, someone striking lightning on us. <laughs> yeah, um, I was saying I, I I I relate to this because I feel like when I've spent a lot of time in one place and I'm someone who likes to just like keep switching gears and like be with new people. And one of the attractive qualities is this thing that you're talking about of like, almost like learning new, like communication tools. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause as you said, it's like when you're kind of just talking to people who are similar to you, it's like, there are these like almost like communication grooves I find myself getting into. And then like having to like be with different people. You're like, Oh, like, what are those other things? Like, you know, how do I get a, and I mean, I can't always put words to it, but there's like other sort of things that start to come in. And I assume that starts to develop into like empathy, really. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's, um, yeah, I, I really relate to that. I don't know if that's an experience you've had. Yeah. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with communication. Like if you, if you look at someone who's been a personal trainer in a big gym for decades there's a pretty good chance you can tell like from 30 feet away that they're saying things they've said before and hearing things in the way that they've perceived that they were being said before. And they're kind of going through the motions. Um, and there, you know, there's a pretty clear path like in the U S to be a personal trainer and train like progressively richer clients for progressively more money. Um, and that, you know, that can be a career, but I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure how much of a need it's serving. Mm. So you're, you're kind of like critical of like the United States, like fitness industry a little bit, or just kind of that kind of general way of approaching things. I, I think it's fair to say that I'm somewhat critical. Um, yeah, I think fitness has, has done a lot for a lot of good for a lot of people and, um, arguably like probably saved a lot of lives, but I also think it does a lot of harm and, um, yeah, there, there should be some accountability around that. Like even, uh, just in the marketing of fitness, it can do a ton of harm before someone ever chooses to, to consume it or go to a gym. Like you can just feel really crappy about yourself from watching fitness ads and that yeah that doesn't feel great i guess as someone who uh is a part of it yeah i i I, for for a lot of reasons to me it plays to like the illusion of like 
control that mm. like you know like where these like deities and like it gives I, I think i've talked about this before where like fitness specifically often gives off this thing of like i'm going to control my body to look and, and be a certain way so that like i i am made to feel as if i'm in more control of this uncontrollable life than i actually am that yes. i'm I, that that as opposed to like welcoming kind of like the um, i don't know if you've ever heard this term like wabi-sabi yes and i don't know what to do with it right now it's, in my yeah, brain. it's kind of like you know the embracing it's it's like the embracement of like imperfections in the and the um, the yeah like the that, that that things are are not forever mm-hmm. um and it's almost like the fitness industry plays to me of like plays to this idea of like let's not let's not feel like we're dying and look like we're dying exactly <laughs> you know what i mean as opposed to like well well what does it look like if we we embrace some of these qualities but instead embrace it as like we're all on this road but let's do it in like a healthy way you know, as opposed to like putting up this like facade of like things aren't happening. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm totally fine. I have a six pack and I'm, you know, 25 years old. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that I need to look 25 years old forever. Right. Which is definitely possible as long as I do enough like photo and video shoots now that I can pretend it's true later. Yeah. I also realize in, in, I don't know if you look at it this way, I, I've grown to look at like a practice and maybe we, you would feel this way about juggling. So I would be curious, but I, I've come to believe that most practices or most things can be kind of approached with these like three compartments. And one of them is maintenance. The second one is technique. And the third one is free play. And to me, they're all kind of dynamic and deserve some degree of like attention. But I realize like in fitness, it's isolated to just like maintenance, right? And then in something like dance, maybe it's kind of like technique and free play. Same with like jujitsu. And then oftentimes I've felt like in movement, it was like maintenance and technique, but not a lot of free play. so to me with fitness, it's like, oh, there's two categories that are just totally left out that, you know, allow us to be a little more prepared for like an uncertain world. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, my bias is definitely to uh, push back against technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'm just projecting uh, onto what other people might think of like a skills coach talking mm-hmm. about, but I think in general technique is uh, it's it kind of points to something you said earlier. Like it's a way that someone can put themselves at the top of a hierarchy. Like Mm -hmm. if I know the technique and you don't, then you better like pay me to teach you the technique. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just not how things are learned. Like, you know, LeBron James didn't become the best at basketball because like he paid a lot of money to learn perfect technique when he was five right? He probably played a lot and certainly was gifted and (laughs) with various genes, but um, yeah, so I want to push back against the technique, but I totally hear what you're saying. And um, yeah, I think fitness is 
Um, it's kind of clear that it does some things and it lacks some things. Like whatever words you put to that, um, it it maybe doesn't create like an entire human life, right? It doesn't do everything. Um, but also, you know, to be fair, like strength, conditioning, these things do tend to to be good for living a healthy life. I don't want to like push back too far against the fitness world. Yeah. For me, it's like, if we don't, if we don't do this like free play thing, then I don't have any information about like what I should be maintaining. You know, like mm. I may, <laughs> like I may be like doing whatever sit-ups forever, but I might find if I go and do variations of like free playing that, oh, like I actually don't need to do that. What I should maybe spend some time on is like, whatever, like my knees need some maintenance. So I should spend mm -hmm. some time there. Um, so it's like, we end up like over maintaining, like almost like, you know, keeping like the Porsche in, in the, yes. you know, in the shop and just being like, let's shine it. Let's do this. Let's keep changing the spark plugs every single day. And it's like, well, you kind of like, I don't know, rev that thing. Yeah. I mean, I might replace the word playing with like living. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like, if, if, a, if something takes a lot of work just to maintain, it's probably not showing up in useful ways for you, right? Like, mm. like a farmer doesn't need to work to maintain the strength it takes to go through their day, right? So if you're like busting your ass to maintain a handstand pushup, it's probably a sign that you don't need to be able to do <laughs> a handstand pushup to live your life. That, yeah, I think that that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm getting to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's like um, that kind of way of seeing a practice fits with the, the juggling or some version of that, but I, I keep kind of like returning to it in my head being like, oh, like this is kind of what it looks like to me. Because again, like living or free playing also gives me the information on like, oh, well, well what techniques do I kind of, like if I do jujitsu, I might through rolling realize like, oh, like, you know what? Like I need to work on my triangle. So I'll like spend some time in like the technique world there. And I'll be like, oh, and if I improve my hip mobility, then I can be better, you know, facilitate kind of working on this technique and then bring it back to like the free play. But yeah, I don't know if it, it fits into the juggling. So what I would say is to me, this is for me personally, this isn't necessarily true of like all juggling or not true of other areas, but my main interest in learning skills is whatever comes along for the ride in the learning process. Mm. So it's not that I go into like, I'm going to learn to juggle six balls with the intention of learning these other meta lessons. I just go in knowing that whatever else I get out of it is probably going to be more valuable to me than the skill of juggling six balls because juggling six balls is useless, right? Like there's nothing you can do with that other than the skill itself. Um, whereas like learning to focus on a task for a half hour can be a really useful skill. So again, like there isn't a grand plan. <laughs> it's not that I know what meta lessons will come out of it, but but I know there will be something, right? Like if you, if you commit yourself to focusing on something for an extended period of time, you're probably gonna learn something from it. And so to me, like 
acquiring skills. I don't even love the term acquisition, even though I use it constantly. It's not like they're trophies to collect. Um, so I've gained lots of skills and then lost them. Um, like a lot of strength skills. I like worked really hard to get the skill and then I did it and I was like, okay, I've learned a lot over the past six months and then I didn't work to maintain it. And to me, that's totally fine because whatever meta lessons I learned, I still learned. Right. So what are, what is like your practice look like now? So I basically, um, I hope, uh, practice what we preach. Um, uh, John and I, we, um, we work off a framework of kind of having a reasonable amount of volume spread over, um, different, uh, muscle groups. And I try to do that type of strength training during like on a week to week basis. So, you know, I'll do like pushing, pulling, squatting, hinging, these familiar things. And then, um, I tend to take on like projects. I like to focus on one skill for an extended period of time. Um, so I might spend like one to a few months, like focusing on a juggling skill or focusing on a handstand skill or something like that. And, um, and then every once in a while I'll take on like a much bigger project. Um, so I've gotten into this goal of uh, dunking. And oh, I like... saw this, <laughs> I saw this. <laughs> yeah, so this is like, uh, like I'll have a short-term goal of like, I'm gonna work on this for this training phase for four weeks and then a medium-term goal of like a project. And then, all right, over the next 10 years, I'm gonna see what this project is like. So so the, the dunking is like a medium-term Super long term. <laughs> so <laughs> I said it literally as a 10 year goal. And the reason it was 10 years was like, all right, if I'm 40 and I haven't made it, like maybe it's time to start focusing on other areas of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so why, what was it about dunking that you found so attractive? So part of it is like we've talked about like play it's connecting with my inner child. Like I loved basketball growing up. I looked up to basketball players. I was less than five feet tall until high school. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's like my inner child and it's approaching something totally impossible. Um, like right now I'm, I'm under five, eight. Like sometimes I tell people I'm five, eight. Um, and it's just, it looks impossible. Like I look up at the basketball hoop and I'm like, I can't touch that. Um, and so therefore I already know there's so much to learn in trying to figure out like, well, what would it look like if it were possible and what steps can I take, um, to figure that out? So what, how close are you right now? Like, can you touch the rim? So first to clarify my specific goal, and I'm big on like goal setting, uh, procedures, <laughs> my specific goal <laughs> is to dunk a tennis ball on a 10 foot hoop. So I oh, want to get- how, sorry, yeah. how high is a regular hoop? Regular hoop is 10 feet. So I'm saying like, I want okay. like a full regulation hoop, mm -hmm. but I'll allow the tennis ball instead of a basketball, which is a pretty dramatic difference. What, why is that? Um, I suspected it was possible. I really don't know, but like I have a glimmer of hope or like two years ago when I set this goal, I had a glimmer of hope. And the basketball, I guess I'm fairly confident that I won't be able to like run and dribble with the ball and dunk, 
So it would require like someone throwing me a perfect pass and I do a small alley-oop or like the perfect circumstances. And that just seems a little less like the type of project I want to be focusing on. Okay. So how- I'm how so close... glad we're digging into this. No, I'm, 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 I'm super curious. Cause uh, you know, sometimes like, I think I was talking to somebody the other day who's a dancer and just being like that feeling of like walking into a studio and being like, oh, I can do everything. Mm-hmm. What should I do? So I am very fascinated when it's like, oh, someone's like, oh no, I found something and I'm like, and I'm like tackling this. And it wasn't like handed to me by like a teacher who's like, here's the thing that you do. You're like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So what, how close are you now? <laughs> so I just <laughs> tested this the other day. Um, I can't guarantee this is like my best test. So it's possible I'm a little closer, but I measured it sloppily at about, um, nine feet and half an inch. <laughs> so I'm 11 and a half inches of <laughs> vertical leap away. That's not bad though. I, I was pleased with it. I was, I was super excited that day. Um, if you asked me just like before I came up with this goal, hey, could you increase your vertical leap by a foot? I'd be like, probably not, <laughs> but uh, I intend to find out. So what are some of the things that you're doing to to practice this other than just going out there and just like going for a hundred dunks in a row or something. Yeah, definitely not that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, It's so taxing. It's actually um, one of the fun things about it is like when you really have to uh, strive for like an external demand, like you can say you're jumping as high as possible when you try to jump as high as possible, but when you're trying to measure the height against an object, you really need everything in the system to, to co- cooperate with that. Um, but yeah, so I guess one more thing to shed light on is I broke my toe in 2015 mm-hmm. and it has given me trouble on and off since then. And so another part of this goal is like, I'm not gonna stop jumping and playing and squatting and all kinds of things um, because of a, a toe injury while playing and jumping and spotting and all that. Um, and so part of it is like, I'm, I'm going to see what, what this toe and this foot and ankle can do. Um, so the first like year or two, I didn't even practice jumping at all. I was like doing strength work and mobility work and, uh, trusting that like this will probably set me up for more success when I go to try max effort jumping. Mm -hmm. And now as it turns to spring here, um, this year, I'm starting to get more into like uh, looking into jump technique, which I admit I I do still value technique, even though I I bashed it earlier. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I'm practicing uh, different plants, like off my left foot, off my right foot, off uh, two feet, but leading with the left, two feet, but leading with the right. Um, and I'm exploring like where my limitations are. Like I found out the other day, I can reach a bit higher with my left hand than with my right hand um, because of, you know, all kinds of different structures that, that like to move in different ways. And yeah, so I guess explore, I'm still in this like playful exploring phase um, and laying a foundation of, of strength, mobility, and power. Do you have to get one on each hand? for this to count or is it like a two hand dunk or is it, is, is it just one and you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So my standard is 
I have to uh, get from the ground without assistance up <laughs> to a 10 foot hoop um, and put something at least the size of a tennis ball in, in it with any hand or any combination of hands such that it's like traveling downward when I do that. So it doesn't like bounce around and happen to fall in. Right, you can't just jump up and toss it up and then down, right? right. It's like, you need to like, you need to put it down and in. Yeah, so like it might not look like something out of an NBA dunk contest, mm-hmm. but it, it has to be traveling downwards. Well, when you Photoshop it, you do need to make it look like you do like the, the, the famous uh, Jordan from like the free throw line. Definitely. And like, by the time I'm able to come anywhere near this, my Photoshop skills are going to be so on point. Oh yeah. Well, and you'll be able to sell it as an NFT. Yes. (laughs) First I'll understand them. Then I'll work on Photoshop and then I'll start selling. Yeah, man. I really, uh, I really admire this, this goal. I think it's really fascinating because I, you know, you're talking about like all the things like the, the meta lessons right in between there and just kind of hearing that kind of pour out of you just a little bit as you're, as you're talking about it. I don't know. It, uh, I don't know. It's so fitting with what you were saying about juggling. Although like for you, juggling is like a skill that is not the same as someone new coming at it. So like hearing you talk about this is how I imagine some people kind of like chewing on some of the stuff I think you feed them in juggling. You know, like, oh, like, oh, okay, well, what is that? Oh, here, let me, okay, like, they, like all the tinkering. Yeah, I, I love to tinker. Um, I, on the one hand, like, yes, this is what I think about constantly. Like, I go to sleep thinking about practice. I wake up thinking about practice, um, and like, mine and other people's, and the the process of going from, like, not being able to do something to being able to do it, or even not being able to doing some, not being able to do something to tinkering with it, like you said, and then still not being able to do with it. Mm-hmm. I can't speak anymore, but I hope you, you got that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that like being able to approach the impossible thing. But on at the same time, I think it's worth saying like, these are silly skills, right? Like this is frivolous <laughs> stuff that you know, it requires a ton of like privilege in time and money and safety and all these things. So like these aren't, you know, the skill to the, they're not the skills to prop up any more than any other skill. Like it's not any more or less meaningful to like practice a handstand or practice dunking. Um, They're all things that aren't necessary. And so, yeah, I hope that doesn't get lost in this, like, you know, I light up when I think about it. And there's like a very clear distinction between, um, yeah, like what's necessary and what's not. What do you think of as, as necessary? Yeah, so I guess like at the simplest level, um, life and death, <laughs> uh, like like things that, that protect life or cause death or any combination um, are very necessary from like, you know, everything that's important to us, or at least to me. Um, So, you know, when I say privilege, what I mean is like, my life is very much not at risk at any time in my day-to-day schedule. So like I can go to the park and practice dunking. Um, So, you know, that would be like the most basic layer. And then 
um, relating to other people, like like finding meaningful connections, things like that are are pretty important, I think. Um, and yeah, so I guess for me, the meta lessons, what's what's important about them, like what's important about going to try to dunk or juggle a bunch of objects is you can apply a meta lesson to something super frivolous or incredibly meaningful or anywhere in between. Yeah. So do you, because you're somebody who, you know, is so passionate about practice like your own and for other people, but as you said, like they're, these are, these are privileged things to kind of get to like exist this way. But you even said like, Oh, like there are things that are more important. Like you said, like life and death or like human interaction. Uh, do you, do you ever struggle to like prioritize? Do you ever find like, Oh, like there's a moment, there's an opportunity for me to like go and like be with people, but like the, <laughs> the basketball court is right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I strongly identify as an introvert. Um, I love practicing alone. And yeah, that is, that's always been a choice for me. Like uh, I picture myself, like we talked about um, spending most of my time in, in the juggling club back in undergrad. And yeah, like I would typically rather practice juggling for an hour than like go to a party. Like that's, mm -hmm pretty consistently true. Um, so I do face those choices. And for me, that was, um, that was a transition, like training with Ido. I was training like four or five hours a day alone, mostly. And at some point I was like, how, like, how good do I need to be at handstand pushups? Right. Um, yeah. So it is definitely a choice, but the best, times I think are when they they play off each other mm -hmm. like they I wouldn't want to sacrifice either one they should be contributing to each other so saying that you 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 find yourself preferring to practice alone do do you now challenge yourself to like practice with people or integrate people into like into like being with your practice yeah, I mean, people are the best. <laughs> I love people, <laughs> but <laughs> and <laughs> yes, I would say I do sometimes. Um, yeah, for me, like I I care so much about like the theories of practice that it's I need to actively let go of like this is gonna be deliberate practice, like quote, deliberate practice by uh, Erickson and, and his research. Um, so, you know, the other day I'm like playing with friends at the park, but I was like, hey, I, I wanted to get a few strength sets in. And then I still did that. I was like, I, I did wanna get those strength sets in, uh, in between some like shooting around and, and stuff like that. And, and then I was like, okay, like look at yourself, like, is it, you know, does it matter if you do like four sets or five sets of shrimp squats today? Like it's probably not the the biggest deal in the world. Yeah. I was sitting, I, I was sitting outside. My wife and I were like taking a walk. There's a park not far from here. And it's where I usually like do my thing and where like people come out and, and we jam and stuff. And I was just sitting out there and it was like this beautiful day. And I was watching some people like 
you know, doing some pull-ups on like the little apparatus thing they have set up. And then I was watching these people play spike ball. Yes. Which is awesome. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> but I was looking at it and I was like, I said to my wife, I was like, you know, if somebody asked me years ago, like, oh, I've got 20 minutes, what should I do? I would probably have like pointed them towards like the pull-up bars and things like that. But now I'm like, if someone says to me, I only have 20 minutes, what should I do? I was like, I would send them to do the spike ball a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, unless it's some sort of extreme circumstance, like to me, I'm like, if you've only got so much time, I'm like, do that thing. Like do the, the playful thing with all the unnamed movements and positions with people where we're like, where a lot is being asked of our senses all at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first of all, the other day with the shrimp squats, mm -hmm. I was at the park playing spike ball with my friends. Like, no <laughs> <joke>. <laughs> so I can't believe you just said that. Um, and second of all, yeah, I was just thinking like, um, I was thinking about my grandmother as she relates to like the fitness world and the movement world and all this stuff. And she's never like, she's never been a, a gym person and she's in her nineties um never done i mean i don't know what she's never done of course like i wasn't alive for most of her life but um she certainly doesn't talk about her days doing pull-ups or playing spike ball um and she's lived like a tremendous life um so yeah when when we when we zoom out and look at the park and see what people are doing like i hope we're able to zoom out enough to remember that like even if you're in your 90s and have severe scoliosis you can be living an amazing life and like your ability to play spike ball or do pull-ups uh, shouldn't take away from any of that, like whether it's there or it's not. Yeah, I appreciate that because I, um, I talked to, I talked to Matan Lefkovich. Do you know who he is? I saw that you posted that episode and I, I haven't listened to it yet. I don't know. I think I've heard the name, but I don't yeah. know. Really interesting fascinating dude and he was we kind of got into like the the topic of like elitism in movement yeah and and i think he said something poignant and i'm probably going to misquote him <laughs> but he said you know movement's amazing and i think it's really important but it doesn't necessarily if someone does it doesn't necessarily make you a better person definitely you know because sometimes there's i think there's a lot of that where it's like oh i do this thing so like, I know, I know things about life that you don't know, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so I like what you said, where it's like, you know, keep zooming out of the park and like, look, and like, those things are cool, but they're not like, they're not necessarily the things. Yeah. Yeah. Like by definition, if you're spending all of your time and energy, like wasting energy to get stronger, right? Like, like doing things that don't aren't biological needs, like using energy to be able to do more pull-ups, like you are, you're cutting off other areas, right? Like we, we're just animals, we're just people. And the further we go into these things that like admittedly I go deeply into, right? But the further we go, the more we risk like not being able to zoom out. And that's, it's kind of a scary thought. Um, but yeah, hopefully we have other people 
to, to make sure we're like zooming in and zooming out. And so I tend to learn a lot from people who aren't in like the movement world and the fitness world. I don't, um, yeah, like the, like if you find a, a big Instagram account with like uh, a million followers in the fitness world, there's a pretty good chance I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna pursue uh, learning from that person compared to like my grandmother or my friend who's a teacher. Like there's just a lot to be learned from, from stepping out. Watch, I'm gonna go back and look at your Instagram now and you're gonna be following like, you only follow like fitness influencers. <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> well, should. I've been trying to get sponsored and I just feel like if I network with the right people. It would be really funny if before I posted this you went and like totally like cleaned out like your, who you follow and then yes. just like like 300, like that's all the accounts you follow. So people was like, oh man, he seems like a really authentic, real dude. I'm going to go follow him. And then it's just you. And then it's only like sponsored ads over yes. and over. You're going to um, tease the episode as like an expose on my Instagram following. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I really agree with that because I also, I keep thinking a lot, and this is from a conversation I had not too long ago about this idea of like, you know, practicing and teaching, reflecting like changes we want to see in the world. And, you know, to me, like, especially kind of going through what we've gone through this past year, I think it shines even brighter is this like, um, desire to see more like compassion, you know what I mean? And like, mm -hmm. we develop compassion through like, things like a lot of interactions and not being rivalrous and, and being more welcome to like surprise and uncertainty. And you know, when I think of those qualities, a lot of that comes from being like around different ideas and different people and not being so like narrowed in on like the one thing and the walls getting higher. I was reading a book recently. Um, I think it was in this book, The Art of Is. Uh, it's about improvisation by this guy, Stephen Maknanovich, I think is how you say his name. He wrote a book called Free Play excellent but the art of is is amazing these are very compelling titles and descriptions continue yeah. and i think it was in this book watch it was in this other book that i read and i'm totally misquoting <laughs> but uh he said something about the idea that like when something is in a box not a lot of light gets in you know so like yeah. if, if we if we place ourselves in boxes we're not we're not receiving a lot of light and you know when you're talking about like you're basically talking about getting outside of a box, right? Mm -hmm. By being like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend time with this person. I wanna hear ideas from that person. And like, that just means like more light is shining. Um, yeah. And to me, that leads to that potential of like um, compassion and empathy and like, you know, welcoming of like surprise when you're like, you know, when you're exposed to so many new things. Um, so I don't know, it's something that I, I, I wish for, but also like think a lot about in like, presenting in like a, a teaching and practice setting as well. Yeah, that's, that's really nice. Um, if you use the word box also like colloquially to mean gym, you mentioned like, you know, what we've been through the last year, I look at these gyms and like, I'm, I'm picturing one in particular that was like fighting a battle against the government to, to keep their gym open. And, um, like, they were giving out free memberships to people coming in without masks and this type of stuff. And it's like, if you're so deeply entrenched in your box 
that you can't see that like there's a public health issue <laughs> happening all around you. That's just like, I guess it shouldn't have surprised me at this point, but it's it's horrifying to look at. And like, that's an extreme, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we all are a little bit <laughs> in our boxes, right? Like no one's letting all the light in and just like uh, on the top of the mountain outside of the box. <laughs> right, exactly. Just like basking in it. But you're, you're, you're talking, <laughs> but, but you're talking about this thing that I, again, that I've thought a lot about is this idea of like, we, and maybe you relate to this or, or agree, mm-hmm. but like we have this like almost like distorted view uh, in this country and maybe other countries, but definitely here uh, of, of the terms freedom and liberty. And this is just totally yes. personal <laughs> to me. I, I really think that like these terms have been kind of like grotesquely misdefined um and and it's and it, and, it, and, it, and it's turned into like personal and individual freedom and personal and individual liberty and that that often seems to collide with like collective freedom and liberty yeah um anyway i i was gonna i was gonna i'll add this and then i'll let you say something because i it, it really I interviewed this guy, Stephen Jenkinson on here. And I thought, and he wrote a great book called Die Wise, strongly suggest. But he he talked about the idea of like approaching things as a citizen versus approaching as an individual. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's where it started to like really hit me about these terms. Like, well, what does it mean to approach things as a citizen? You know, so like, you know, you were talking about this gym and like, we're like, oh, we're going to like give out memberships if you don't get a vaccine. And it's like, well, if you step for a moment and be like, oh, like I'm thinking about making this decision. How do I approach that decision as an individual or as a citizen? And how does it change from one to the other? You know? Yeah. I, uh, you just reminded me of a podcast I listened to called Seeing White mm-hmm. and I highly recommend it at least um, to white people in the United States. Um, But uh, they're talking about like this concept of individualism as a very, (laughs) uh, a very white narrative. Like if you have the privilege to only focus on your own individual life, then it can seem like your liberties are being taken away. But like our country was founded by people talking about liberty who literally owned slaves. Like, (laughs) I don't know, that should be the end of the conversation. Like, of course it was a gross representation of freedom. Like it was totally disingenuous. Um, Yeah, so I could could go down that rabbit hole for a long time, but I certainly identify with what you said. Yeah, I mean, it it starts to kind of like seep in everything. Um, But that's what I say. I'm like, oh, like I find myself more and more being like, well, when I'm presenting something, you know, and just taking the moment to be like, oh, like, is this an individual act or is this an act as a citizen? And if I'm going to follow through with it and it feels individual, is there a way to like turn this into an act of like a citizen and then find myself sometimes retreating and being like, well, then I'm not going to do this thing because it doesn't feel like as an act of a citizen, yeah. you know? Um, because sometimes I also think that like, you know, we have all these like great conversations and these great ideas, but then like in our professional lives or whatever it is that we present, it's like, 
oh, well, that's that. This is something that happens over here. <laughs> yeah. And then when I'm here, so I keep thinking more and more like, oh, well, how do I, you know, present those, those values, even in a subtle way in the thing that, that I present? Is that something that, that you, you have ever kind of like re- reflected on as well? Yeah. I, it's funny you, you worded in that way. I, um, in addition to like coaching movement, I also work with coaches and, um, I, I branded it as striving coaches, but the, like the tagline, the meaning of it for me is, um, helping coaches bring their values into the art and business of coaching. Well, this is a good opportunity to mention that, um, I wrote that for you and <laughs> you still owe me money on it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but seriously, like that's, that's, what's meaningful to me. Like there are all these, uh, people who like sell marketing courses and all kinds of things to coaches. Coaches are like a, a ripe market. But to me, it was like, you, we can, we can help people in a way that makes sense to us. Like it's pretty straightforward. Right. And there, we see all these paths of like, you can start an online course and generate lots of revenue by following this template and whatever. But like, you can also do it by just like being the person you are and caring about what you care about. Um, And I think it's sad that in a field of like, people who are trying to help people, we often can like get caught up in, in the business side of it such that we forget that like we can, we can take our values into it. This is a question that's totally, not that every question I've asked hasn't had to do with like my own real interests. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I've been bored up to this point, but yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's taken a while. No, um, do you think it's a challenging, it'll always, do you think there's any way to reconcile with this idea of like approaching things like what we do with the values that we have in, in a capitalist society? Do you think that that is always going to be a, a clash or is there some sort of way to like make it happen? So, I wish I knew. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a, a big one for me because I I recognize more and more the extent to which my worldview has been shaped by capitalism. And so I see like a lot of good and a lot of bad in every aspect of that. And it's just, it's everywhere, right? Like it, it seeps into everything like you described earlier. Um, so, you know, I hear... I hear arguments on on both sides of like economic and political arguments and they like none of them capture the whole story to me. Um, So I I think about it a lot, but I really am nowhere near having any answers to that question. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally do choose to, you know, charge money for services and support myself with with that work. Um, And I try to do it in a way that that feels right to me. Um, but I don't know, it's really hard to imagine other models because I was so thoroughly raised in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I realize now after doing this for so long and talking to people in different places and people who live in like socialist countries, and it's just like the, the whole structure can change and the whole approach changes when, 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 when it's a different society in these ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really fascinating. I feel like the small thing that I've kind of 
begun to like welcome a little more is like, you know, maybe it's just like the one of the few things that I feel like can can be done on a value level is not be focused so much on growth, but be focused on evolution. You know, like and and to me it's like, you know, coming into like a like a capitalist society, as you're saying, like it's so ingrained in how we are. But part of that ingraining is that everything needs to be going upwards. Yes. Like our life always needs to be an upward trajectory so that we have more, so we can buy more, so that we can like more, 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 more. Yeah. More is better is literally like one of the first principles of traditional economics. <laughs> so the, the, the small thing that I think about is like kind of the welcoming of not necessarily the up, but just like a forward. Like, and, and that forward is kind of squiggly and twisty turny, but it doesn't necessarily need to be an up, you know, like it has just like changes and bumps and, and, and ripples. And, and I think that that challenges the status quo a little bit. Um, and it may mean that I'm never a rich person, um, <laughs> but I think it, 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 it allows for an opportunity for some of these values to kind of to stay in there. Cause when it's up, 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 up to me, it's like, well, at some point I'm going to have to step off somebody's shoulders. Right. And that sounds totally analogous to what you were saying earlier about like the, the 25 year old with the six pack and fitness, right. That's like, how high up can I go instead yeah. of recognizing like impermanence and lack of control mm -hmm. like you can, deadlift 600 pounds and then get hit by a bus the next day and mm -hmm. your ability to deadlift probably didn't have much to do with that accident. Um, yeah, those seem totally analogous to me. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it because uh, we were just talking about it, but I, yeah, I can totally identify with that. And I think at best we can, um, we can be ready for more variation around us in various ways. Mm -hmm. It helps to talk to somebody who who has some sort of like economic background on this. This is this is this is a rare opportunity. <laughs> so, I I wouldn't oversell my. I really had a trouble had trouble understanding economics in school. I didn't do great in school. I was I excelled more in the psychology and the juggling. <laughs> doesn't matter when I put in the when I put in the show notes. It's going to say you know um, you know world renowned economist. <laughs> That's right. You know slash juggler. Well, fortunately, no one will listen this far into the episode anyway, so <laughs> they won't hear me admitting otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I um, I don't know. The it, more and more, and it's like I think maybe even going through like COVID, it's like makes some of these things shine through mm -hmm. even even brighter. And I don't know if it's like had that effect on you as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, first of all, I mean the question earlier about like practicing around other people, mm -hmm. like man, even. I want to like go to a party, right? And I've never wanted to go to a party. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really, you know, it, it, it shines light on like what's important, right? When you, when you take away a lot of things and you take away a lot of people, honestly, like um, it brings kind of a certain heaviness and lightness, I think, um, which are hopefully both useful. Mm -hmm. So, moving forward, like what, what, what are kind of like the things that you and the movement guild and John are going to be doing like in like the coming months, years, will there be like any in-person things that you're, you're, you're hoping to do? 
So uh, first of all, one thing is like, I'm kicking myself a little bit because one thing we're working on is actually uh, rebranding. Mm-hmm. So we, we have uh, a name that I, I won't announce quite yet um, mm-hmm. that we, is more fitting for kind of our vision. But uh, yeah, w- when people are listening to this later, it might uh, sound a little different. But to actually answer your question, um, one thing we're really excited about is collaboration. And so we're trying to bring in um, coaches who um, kind of share uh, values and maybe share interests or maybe uh, maybe have different interests and different perspectives. And so we're developing, um, we're at least having conversations about kind of where other courses can go and and what our role can be other than like just delivering information uh, all the time, because I think uh, any like any organization, any coaching structure of any kind that is just always like the same source of information is inherently limited. Um, so we're having some exciting conversations with um, other folks around all of that. And you asked about in person. I guess the the short answer is no, or we don't know yet. Um, we don't have any any current plans for that, but for now we're we're excited to be collaborating with each other and now uh, collaborating with other people and um, building a lot of cool relationships with uh, with members and and people who are interested. I appreciate this idea of like kind of like almost like a, like a collective kind of of like teachers, instructors, coaches. I feel like this topic has come up like a number of times on here, this idea of like kind of like breaking hierarchies down. Yeah. Um, and then there was talk, I just put up on a, a podcast I did today or put up a podcast today that I did recently with Tom Wexler. It was the second one that we've done. And I brought it up to him and we, we, we kind of agreed upon this like flattened structure that's not a hierarchy, but like <laughs> there's, it still has like topography to it where there's still like kind of like mountains where there are some people who have like kind of gone up and down these mountains, but then there's like valleys where everybody kind of like gathers into as opposed to everything being flat because, you know, rightfully so his argument was like, Hey, like we can't change the fact that there are things that I know more about than like some other people. So like maybe I should be the person that they ask the questions to, but like kind of um, not people, not letting people like lose their curiosity which yeah. seems to happen when it's like one mountain. Definitely. I mean, first takeaway is like, it's gotta be lonely at the top, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I don't I don't wanna be at the top of any hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but beyond that, like the way we imagine it, the way we describe it is everyone is a teacher and everyone is a student. And like, those can be really nice buzzwords, of course, but when you actually take it seriously, like, if you're, if you're teaching anything, then you've hopefully learned enough to know that you should keep learning in other areas and in that same area, right? Um, like, I can't imagine someone who's been a school teacher for decades being like, yeah, I, I know everything now. Like, I, I'm at the top of a hierarchy and I just give information down the mountain. Like, a teacher would never say that. And yet, like, an influencer on Instagram <laughs> might act in that way. Um, 
hashtag motivation Monday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, hopefully we're all able to learn from each other. And at the very least, like, you know, we can recognize that our, our understanding of things has limitations based on our own experiences. Like, I, if you can't have someone else's experience, then there's a whole lot of things that you can't know that they can. Mm-hmm. So who are some of the people that you are, are working with, at least currently within, within your group? I think I should keep that under wraps for a little longer. Um, I'm okay. sorry to, to, to sound so mysterious, but one of no, so no, it's I'll, good. I'll mystery is good. Mystery is good. <laughs> it leaves people like wanting more. I'll say this: one of our main uh, business goals for this quarter that we're currently in is um, is getting to know coaches who have experiences and um, either work with people or um, are people or are interested in people who um, we we either haven't or can't relate to as well. So for instance, like expanding our reach um, in terms of how able-bodied someone is and what languages they speak and things like that. Like, again, going back to we're limited, like of course we can't understand a lot of things unless we speak every language in the world, right? Just as like a basic starting point. Um, so I, I won't name specific people, but we're, we're, excited about and take seriously the role of like uh, expanding these conversations outside of just ourselves and our own um, strengths, abilities, and experiences. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think there's, sometimes it feels like a bit like an echo chamber, right? It's like, it can almost feel like a lot of like similar people talking about similar things when, when, there, there, there is so much more. Yeah. And that I mean, kind of, that, that's something I learned. Sorry. sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, it reminds me of what we were talking about earlier. Um, and like the idea of being a generalist and a specialist, which we didn't touch on, but sometimes like being a generalist gets propped up as this uh, uh, ideal where being a specialist in anything can teach you a whole lot that like, if you don't go that deeply into it, you might not be able to, um, to grasp. And everyone kind of specializes in some areas in their lives, whether it's like being a parent or working in finance or whatever. Um, so that's another area where I see like, of course we can learn from other people because like, let's say take me and juggling, like I've learned things from juggling that you can't learn from just like learning how to juggle in a month um, because of that, that time and those lessons that come out of it. And likewise, as someone who's not a parent, there are plenty of lessons that I have not learned, right? That anyone who's been a parent for many years learns out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was going to add that, like, this is something I've thought so much about, like, just from doing this podcast now, you know, like talking to 52, 53 people spanning like all these different lives and experiences and ages and, and up and down, left and right. And to me, it's just like the tip of the iceberg. 
Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it, it even just getting like a glimmer of like someone's like experience is valuable. It doesn't need to be like a full upload. Yeah, but just like like the like the bits and pieces like go go a long way. Yeah, I mean you can you can disprove an assumption you had in a second potentially, mm-hmm. right? Like you could hear someone say one thing and be like, wow, I hadn't imagined that possibility and that's your life, right? Like it doesn't necessarily take long as long as you're, you have the environment around you, that person with another experience, for instance. Yeah. I don't want to eat up too much of your time, but I'm, I do want to ask, like, you know, you talk a lot about like being, being a teacher means that you know how to be like a good student or you know how or or you the value of being a student as well so where are some of the things that you're 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 turning towards from a the position of a student currently other than like dunking but like (laughs) who are some of the people or what are some of the ideas or or practices that are that are kind of like finding their way in yeah um so one of the most annoying things about that belief that uh, being a teacher of some sort should make you a student is I might turn people into teachers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I hope I don't do that against their will. But for instance, like uh, having my partner like hold my hand through learning very basic uh, cooking skills. Like I just always identified as someone who quote, didn't know how to cook, AKA like I'm stubborn and don't practice this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like learning just like the basics of chopping, right? Um, So that's something that uh, I've been frustrated by and loved. Um, I'm also thinking about literally going back to school to be a student again. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, I love love learning. Um, That's another area that comes to mind, like actual education. What would you go back Uh, to school for? um, Motor learning. So this, this stuff that I think about all the time, I want to think about it even more. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't have like an, I have a very academic background, but not in the areas of my current interest, like economics, psychology, philosophy, this stuff. Um, and so I'd love to, to go deeper into like the research of skill acquisition and, and get closer to it. It's nice. Again, that's like a another theme that keeps coming up here is this kind of like bridging the gap between mm. like the academic world and like the world of like the practitioners, right? Yeah. There's this like often this distance, but like yes. finding that way to like bring them together. And again, like talking with Tom, we talked a lot about like finding common language and metaphors and things like that. Um, yeah, I think that... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, the more people I talk to, the more I realize there's like a desire for that and people doing these things and doing reading and doing practicing and, and having the conversations. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that there's more to be done. Yeah. Here, here. Yeah. Where would you go to school? <laughs> so I was In actually going to area. What, what is it? Harvard? <laughs> no, we don't have any schools here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was thinking about this at the very beginning. We were talking about New York. So I'm really excited about this particular program, but unfortunately it's in 
the city of New York where I've told myself I would never <laughs> uh, live. So it's at uh, the Teachers College at Columbia and they have this motor control program that looks super, super exciting. So now I have to grapple with this, uh, you know, these, this box I've put myself in as someone who doesn't want to live in the big city um, and figure out whether there's room for me there. Well, you'll have to keep me updated. If it ends up happening, maybe that'll be part of our incentive to to return back to New York, and then uh, mm. I will be your I'll be your like guiding light in the city. Amazing, yeah. If you could be my <laughs> my New York uh, guru, that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, the more the more time we spend away, the more I I I, I realize I I crave it and I miss it. So there's mm. there's a good chance that would be pretty incredible to go from like knowing each about each other for seven years to finally <laughs> chatting and then just uh you know not long after living in the same city. That would be that awesome. Sounds delightful. Yeah. Nice. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do it through website or email or Instagram? Yeah. Um, my website is finemovement.com, F-E-I-N. And then my Instagram handle is just my name, Jeremy Fine. Um, and those are both pretty good places to, to hang out, I think. Um, yeah. Shoot me a message and I'd love to talk to people who are interested in this stuff. Nice. Man, I'm so happy that, uh, that, this, that this came to be. Me too. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, man. I feel like, um, yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't stop here. We can, we can do it when we're not recording. We can nice. uh, hop on calls whenever. So we don't have to wait six years now. We don't have the same. Yeah. Uh... No, no, no. We definitely have to wait six years. We just don't okay. have to do We don't have to record it in six <laughs> okay, years. <perfect. laughs> but, but I only want, <laughs> I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to hear from you until you're dunking. <laughs> All right. I'll call All you right, up man. after my dunk. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. Bye.